0: KYW News Radio original podcasts. It's time for all the year-end lists: best movies of the year, best albums of the year. While we all dug into our Spotify wrapped recaps, dictionaries and linguistic groups picked out their words of the year. And for 2023, Oxford chose "riz." What the heck does that mean?
1: Riz, R-I-Z-Z is an individual's ability to essentially charm another individual.
0: It's Gen Z slang that gained popularity online. While older generations might shake their heads at this, Dr. Grant Berry, who teaches Spanish and cognitive science at Villanova University, says it's not that
1: surprising of a choice. The intention, I think, is to reflect how language is being used, how language is being used to reflect our current state and a lot of discourse these days does happen online
0: i'm matt leon and today on kyw news radio in depth sponsored by your delaware valley honda dealers make memories during happy honda days we talk with dr barry about riz and how it reflects modern language plus how oxford chooses their word of the year and how language has evolved throughout history oxford word of the year before we dig into the word itself and kind of the ramifications or the ripple effects of what was chosen, just kind of explain to people who aren't familiar kind of what this is and what it represents.
1: Sure. So, Oxford, like many other online dictionaries or language related societies, selects a word of the year every year. Usually, this is based off of patterns of usage. In the case of some dictionaries, it's words that are searched very heavily. In uh, the case of others, words are submitted by different members in the uh, the general public, and usually uh, they tally a number of votes either from the public or from a smaller dedicated committee uh, to decide what the word of the year is. So some common places where you see words of the year, uh, Oxford is a classic one, which we'll talk about in depth today, Um, but also the American Dialect Society chooses a word every year, Cambridge Dictionary, Collins Dictionary, Dictionary.com. They aren't restricted to the U.S. and the U.K. either. Uh, the Australian National Dictionary and McQuarrie Dictionary also uh, choose a word of the year. Uh, for example, McQuarrie uh, in Australia, their word of the year is causey lives, which is a fun way of saying cost of living. What
0: is the word of the year supposed to represent? Does it supposed to represent kind of our cultural moment, kind of where we are in history? Or is it just popularity? How would you kind of frame it, Uh, specifically with Oxford? And it's probably the same for everyone. But like, what is the, the hope that you're capturing with choosing the word of the year?
1: I think the intention ultimately is to get a finger on the pulse of how language is actually being used. And that is in contrast to one of the limitations of dictionaries in general, which is that they always fall behind how language is actually used, right? By the time a word is added to a dictionary, it's already been um, widely used in popular discourse, right? It has to go sort of through Uh, vetting period before people decide to add it to a dictionary. Not just individual words, but different meanings of words. I remember back when literally used in a figurative sense um, was added to the dictionary because that had become one of the most widely used uh, discourse functions of that word. So I think the intention is to get a sense for what words are being used to reflect our current state of affairs. Um, most, so for example, across most of the uh, different organizations this year, many of the words have to do with authenticity, truth, the search for truth in an era of generative AI. Um, so there seems to be a general preoccupation in uh, the US and beyond with uh, notions of what is true when. Um, algorithms can confidently spit out things that are verifiably false, right? Um, so that this is the main intention. Um, and oftentimes, the word of the year is a new word, a neologism, what linguists would call it, uh, a word that was coined fairly recently um, and didn't exist in, uh, in English beforehand, but not always. Um, so, for example, the... Word of the Year from Merriam-Webster is authentic, which has been around for a long time. But authentic in relation to what is authentic when um, we're dealing with questions of just what is real and what is uh, created.
0: So the Oxford word that I wanted to hone in on, and this is how I can tell I'm getting old, is it is a word that I had not become familiar with until midsummer late summer of this year, and it's Riz. Mm -hmm. And can you explain for people that maybe are even more out of touch than me what Riz means and how it's spelled and and the context it's being used in?
1: I'll do my best. Riz, which is spelled R-I-Z-Z, is a commonly used uh, Gen Z term now. Tracing it back historically, the person who's credited with creating it, uh, his name is Kai Sanat. Um, He's a Twitch streamer um, that's very popular, African-American male, um, who said that the term comes from social interactions with his friends. This was popularized in 2021, so two years ago now, um, within those circles, and being a massively popular Twitch streamer, um, several followers, several million followers, um, and that eventually spread to TikTok last year in 2022 where it really exploded and became quite popular. And then um, this year, for example, um, it was featured on SNL during the weekend update segment uh, a few weeks ago, talking about Riz. I know that back in, I believe it was June of this year, Tom Holland uh, known for portraying Spider-Man in many of the more recent Marvel movies uh, was using it in interviews, talking about uh, his own, Riz ability. Now, what is Riz? Riz, R-I-Z-Z, is an individual's ability to essentially charm another individual. Um, It's been said that the word is an abbreviation or a reduction um, on the basis of the word charisma, much like fridge is is a reduction of the word refrigerator. Whether that Is the case or not is unclear. Uh, I know that Kai Sinat has said that that wasn't the point of origin when uh, he was using the word with his friends. But um, I think having that as a potential point of connection is useful for people. So um, since this year, it's become much, much more popular with the uh, Gen Z community. Granted, I'm a millennial myself, um, though fortunately I have an influx of Gen Z students every semester in my classes. And uh, several of my classes are focused on language and linguistics. Um, This semester I taught a course called Linguistics as a Cognitive Science, which focuses on how words uh, come about, how grammatical structures come about, and how they change over time. So uh, we ended up talking about RIS, talking about um, several other items Uh, that are commonly used uh, by my students that I would never have in my regular vocabulary.
0: Would we consider this slang? To me, it seems like slang, or am I selling it short?
1: Well, yeah, it absolutely is slang. So um, it's widely considered as internet slang, um, given the fact that its provenance is the internet um, and a Twitch streamer. However, um, it is probably more likely that this is a term that was used within at least some portion of the African-American community, then became popularized by an individual from that community, and then uh, gradually filtered into uh, mainstream general American English. This is a pretty common uh, pathway that we see for new words entering uh, just general American English, is coming from minority communities in the U.S., that actually a good deal of Gen Z words have a similar path of origin. So slay is very common now, Um, of course, popularized by Beyonce. I slay from her lemonade album, but also is now widely used among individuals of any race, ethnicity background, despite the fact that, you know, it has its origins in African-American communities and also particularly in the queer uh, black and Latino uh, communities, Um, for someone who excels at something, to slay the competition, for example. Um, So it is slang for sure. Um, And it seems that the point of uh, the starting point or the launching point for its uh, movement into general American English um, is the Internet. Whether um, this is an Internet word, exclusively an Internet word, or it's an internet word that's been picked up from another community. I can't say I haven't. Uh, I haven't done much investigation into that. Um, but both both are are certainly possible. The internet and uh, other communities are where a lot of new words in English come from these days.
0: Is it unusual for the Oxford Word of the Year to be slang or to kind of? have a background from internet slang stuff like that are we breaking new ground or is this kind of where we are now as you know as a linguistic society
1: no i think the internet being a place where lots of conversation happens particularly in text particularly among younger people from uh, possibly different backgrounds uh, we see that the internet is the source of a lot of of new words uh, in any language not just English um, So I the finalist for 2023 situationship Swifty I'm looking for beige flag was on the short list this year uh, which is a term that indicates, uh, it's similar to red flag, but that indicates that a potential partner might be very boring and uninteresting.
0: I've never um, heard that. And that's great.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> something's The red flag, something's a, a beige flag, um, which, yeah, I particularly find that interesting. But looking back um, through previous years, you know, 2022 was goblin mode, uh, which I don't even remember what that means. Vax, we've had climate emergency. 2017 was youth quake. Uh, 2016 was post-truth. In 2015, the Oxford word of the year was an emoji, the crying face emoji. So there's certainly a precedent for uh, Oxford selecting words that are derived from the internet. Because, again, the intention, I think, is to reflect how language is being used, how language is being used to reflect our current state. And a lot of discourse these days does happen online. So that's where we tend to see a lot of linguistic innovation.
0: It is interesting because you went through that list of words, and some of them I was like, okay, and some of them were like, I vaguely remember that. It really does kind of feel like a bit of a snapshot, and we kind of process it and
1: move on. Absolutely. So the likelihood that a word that is used very frequently in one context gradually blends and becomes a commonplace word over time, depends on a lot of different factors. Um, Part of those is the productivity of the word or where it fits in the language, the likelihood that it can apply to new contexts or a general uh, sense of uh, a feeling or something uh, where there's a lexical gap that describes something that's commonplace, but we haven't had a word for What's less likely to persist are words that are really closely tied to developing events or to political situations or things that tend to, by their nature, be short-lived. There are very few exceptions uh, to those, but the use of words, uh, the evolution, rather, of words and the likelihood they're going to stick in a given language is... Um, Most of them don't. I mean, we see lots of new words get coined all the time um, through blending, um, taking two words and putting them together, like situationship, situation relationship, um, or back formation or abbreviation, like we see in the case potentially uh, of Riz. So these are all different tools that are available to us. The question is whether uh, over time enough people from enough different socioeconomic groups and uh, we'll use it and we'll use it in enough different discourse contexts that it becomes more part of mainstream um, English. I I don't have a statistic off the top of my head about how likely that is in general. Um, My sense is that RIS will probably not last for a decade or even five years potentially. Um, It seems to be very, very limited right now, mostly because There are already words in English that capture similar sentiments, and there's not a really strong um, charge or association with that particular word. It's mostly at this point just novel and fun to say.
0: We will continue our conversation with Dr. Grant Berry in just a few moments, but right now it is the holiday season, folks, and the holidays mean different things to everyone. But whatever the holidays mean to you, get the most out of them in a new vehicle from our friends at Honda. Whether it's traveling to the holiday family dinner in a spacious, efficient Accord hybrid, or heading to a hike to burn it off in a powerful adventure-ready CR-V hybrid, your holiday adventure awaits with a new Honda during Happy Honda Days. Contact your local Honda dealer today and now we return to our conversation on kyw news radio in depth about the oxford word of the year with dr grant berry assistant professor of spanish and cognitive science at villanova university it's fascinating to me how language changes over generations i i'm a kind of a history nerd and you look at how letters were written you know obviously you go back to the colonial period in the 1800s but even in the 20th century you know mid 20th century so much formality and things like that when did we start to change where slang really became much more of a mainstream than it was 50 60 years ago or has it always been there and maybe just what survives when we talk about letters and speeches and stuff like that is just much more formal, and we don't appreciate that things
1: were worked in then as well as they are now. That's definitely the case, uh, the latter. So even going back to classical Latin, if you read texts by Julius Caesar and Cicero, the way that they wrote was reflective of very formal style of writing that was used in formal public discourse. It was not representative of how most people uh, spoke at the time. In fact, there are texts called, uh, for example, the appendix proby um, is a collection of texts that is basically some grammarians gripe about how people were pronouncing words wrong all the time. So like the word viridis, which eventually became verde, um, verdant green in modern English was even at the time of classical Latin being pronounced as viridis instead of viridis. So there was already that sort of reduction that was happening. So the way that people speak and the way that people write has never really matched, right? There are different registers that we that we use. The way that you would write an email is not how you would talk to friends. Um, and that is more just a characteristic of language as a social tool um, than it is the advent of the internet and loss of formality and blending of um, text versus email versus all of these other methods of communication. Rather, the truth is that historically what persists is usually some of the written texts, and historically, um, those texts were usually written by more erudite, more educated, wealthier individuals um, who wrote more formally um, for more formal context. With respect to 50, 60 years ago, we have seen uh, a lot of change. A lot of that, um, I think, is attributable to the internet and the fact that sharing information is much easier now than ever before um, compared to um, the invention of the printing press, uh, Gutenberg's printing press, right, where access to language and written text changed effectively overnight right? Um, things that were only in the hands of a select few now are available to a lot of individuals. A similar process has happened with the advent of the internet and increasing access to the internet where um, people have more access to information than ever before. More venues for discourse and particularly conversations in discourse With people who they might not interact with physically on a regular basis. And I think that's important, too, because the way that we use language is a function of our social circles. And when our world and our social environment expands, that gives us more opportunities to learn from that environment in the uh, idiosyncratic features of people that are in that environment. So yes, um, 50, 60 years ago, you might have heard Chesterfield for the couch or the divan or something like that. These are things that my grandmother says. Or growing up uh, in a uh, fairly rural area of Missouri, there was a distinction between the three meals of the day being breakfast, dinner, and supper as opposed to lunch and dinner. Uh, These kinds of things uh, have changed over time, but I don't think that it's necessarily indicative of something with the internet per se or something with um, changes to how we write. I think it's just our social contexts and our opportunities for uh, social interaction have changed over time.
0: How much of an impact kind of going along with the Internet, but we're becoming such a global community because of the ability to contact over large areas in a quick amount of time. How much do you think we will see over the next 50 years languages really start to merge a little bit and take – words from other languages, other cultures. I mean, we obviously are already seeing that. But do you think we will really see that accelerate and expand as travel gets easier, much easier to spend one day in one country, the next day in another, stuff like that, and really see little pieces of all these different languages and stuff and and come together with with new words and and slangs and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, your intuition, uh, and most people's intuition would be that Of course, this should be the case. When um, distances are shorter and our networks are wider, why wouldn't everything start to merge together? The fact, though, is that this doesn't seem to be happening. So compare, uh, for example, uh, standardization of news broadcast dialect. So your standard sort of newscaster speech. Um, That didn't affect... The use of general American English, right? We still have several regional dialects, even though everybody is listening to, or not everybody, but people would hear Tom Brokaw no matter where they were in the US. Um, that didn't have as big of an influence as people thought. If anything, it moved the other direction where um, individual social groups started becoming more and more distinct um, while maintaining perhaps uh, a more general. Uh, central variety. In the case of the next 50 years, I think we may see uh, more loan words or more words that get shared from one language to another. But I don't think that it's likely that we'll see a lot of grammatical changes or changes to the structures of the languages. Uh, if anything, we may see um, accelerated innovation. Uh, In those languages. So we may see language becoming more distinct, as a function of the fact that we're using it, we're using it differently in different types of contexts.
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Make memories during happy Honda days. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.